How can we help balance the cost of production for our growers while ensuring our growers can remain competitive and profitable going forward? We end up putting all the risk on the producer and it's the cost, it's the cost of time. If it doesn't work and you lose something, how do we kind of fund the grower and how do we take the risk off the grower so that we get more innovation out there and get people more willing to try? Today, I sit down with an important industry leader whose sole job is dedicated to helping identify those opportunities and investments for the produce industry through the lens of technology and innovation. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. On today's episode, I'm excited to bring on another luminary in the agriculture industry, Bonnie Estes, the Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association, or IFPA. You might remember our interview with Dwight Ferguson on episode 76, where we talked at length about the United Fresh PMA merger to create an International Fresh Produce Association. Vonnie came from the PMA side of that merger, and Vonnie has had a long and distinguished career in agriculture industry, spending time with some of the biggest names in agriculture, including Syngenta, DuPont, and Monsanto, while also serving on company, advisory, industry, and government boards. In her current role at IFPA, Vonnie is helping shape the fresh produce and floral industry to harness technology, and certainly a topic of interest, having just come off of our fall tech symposium here in the blueberry industry. Vonnie, welcome to the business of blueberries. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Well, I, I've always appreciated, you know, the role that you play in our industry and for agriculture. And, and I know you're a fan of the podcast and you have your own podcast, but I thought we could start off by just talking a little bit about your background and, and what seems to be a history and a tenure that has really set you up perfectly for a role like this there at IFPA. So maybe you can share some of those experience with our audience that really has helped you in your role with both PMA and now for IFPA. Yeah, sure. So most of what I've done is looking at commercializing new and exciting technologies that have an impact in growing our food. So I've done that for big companies, as you said, and also for small companies, but it's always with an eye on what can we take out and help us grow food better, either more efficient for the producer or more healthy for the consumer, but just around that end. So I think that has set me up really well in my current role of really trying to bring technology to the produce industry and bring the produce industry to technology. Yeah, and it's interesting too, because you know it had to have been at some point, it was determined by the industry that there was a need for a position like yours. Do you recall what it was that all of a sudden there was a position open for a role like yours? Well, I think you'd have to ask 
Kathy Burns and uh, Bob Whitaker, they were the ones that decided at the time, I think, but, you know, we had been with Bob Whitaker so strong in food safety and there was so much going on in food safety that Bob led. And so I think as things came on that were more outside of food safety, but really important to the industry and important, you know, from a technology point of view, Bob couldn't do it all. You know, it was just impossible to do food safety and everything else. And so I think the conversation came up that, you know, maybe we need someone to take this part of it on and really bring new technology that's outside of food safety. And the funny story about Bob is that uh, he and I worked together my first job out of graduate school at a company called DNA Plant Technologies in Cinnamons in New Jersey. And so that was... I'm not going to say exactly how many years ago, but around 30 uh, years ago (laughs) that Bob and I worked together. And so I get this phone call, you know, from Bob Whitaker and it's like, oh, we're getting the band back together. So it was really exciting. As I'm sure your listeners know, he's now retired. So when Bob and Kathy first approached me, I wasn't sure this was the direction I wanted my career to go, given kind of all the things that had come before. But I think in listening to their vision of what they wanted to do with PMA at the time and with technology, I got really captivated by their vision and really captivated by the idea of the impact that I could make in the industry in a role like this at an association. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that today. What is the day in the life for the person in your position representing the innovation of agriculture? You know, as as big as it was when it was included with food safety, it's still huge, you know, when it's its, its own separate role. And so I really work with all the way from you know, as we've talked about plant breeding, so very early like crop inputs through the growing through the harvesting, through the processing, through the supply chain, to the retailer and food service, across all crops in produce, across all geographies. So it's huge. You know, it's a really huge remit to really think about what technology can help our members across all that different space. My background, as we've talked about, has been a little bit more on the crop side, on the infield side. So I tend to focus a little bit more there just because that's what I know best and that's who I know. And those are the companies that come to talk to me. But I'm learning more and more about the supply chain and and looking and being more interested going down the supply chain and learning about, you know, what technologies can help in supply chain and and post-harvest. So I focus on member value. You know, what work can I do that really helps our members? So that is looking through that whole chain and globally. And so I spend time talking to members about what their needs are and what solutions they're looking for. I have a lot of companies that come and, and, you know, call and talk to me about, I've got this idea. I talk a lot to venture capitalists to understand like what's happening in their world and what technologies are they seeing. I look outside the industry, like I I spoke at the Consumer Electronics Show a couple weeks ago. And so going to places like CES and talking to those people and saying, come to our industry, you know, we've got all sorts of things that need to be solved. So I spend a lot of time just networking and talking to people, speaking at different conferences like CES. I'm speaking at the World Agritech Conference in San Francisco soon. I'm speaking at Indoor AgCon. And so I go and speak and talk about, you know, what we're looking for, what solutions we need, networking with people. The two biggest things that I'm focusing on this year is one is the accelerator, which I'm going to steal a little bit of airtime to talk about here. So we are launching an accelerator 
It's called Freshfield Catalyst. And what I wanted to do here is bring technology from other industries into the produce industry. Technology is not, you know, not necessarily the two people in the storage shed or the basement or garage that have an idea, but I want to find technologies that have actually been introduced into other industries and are working in other industries and bring that into our industry. So it's that stage that I want companies that have products that we can kind of scale up. So that makes me think, you know, we can get things in pretty quickly. People know that the products work. So it's a six month program, 10 to 12 different companies that we'll bring in. They can be from other industries. We're looking a lot out of the U.S. for companies. And so if there are companies in the produce industry in other countries and other regions that want to globalize, they might be a good fit for us. We're looking at later stage startups that are maybe in the row crops, you know, in corn and soy, but have a a technology that might be applicable. So that's what we're looking for is to bring 10 to 12 companies in. We'll have an immersion week where we'll spend a week talking. Uh, It's going to be in California in May. Um, So there'll be a lot going on in Salinas and we'll go to Bakersfield and we'll go up to Sacramento. And so really give people from outside the industry a view of California agriculture and, you know, growing produce. And then it'll be a a six month program of webinars and a lot of educational sessions and interaction and getting data about the produce industry, all those things that are really hard to get if you're not in the produce industry and you have no idea how to get into it. And then in our uh, global produce and floral show in October, you know, what used to be Fresh Summit, you'll have a booth there and you'll be able to meet everybody and really get your feet on the ground in the produce industry. So we'll start taking applications in a couple of weeks. It'll be on the website. Applications close April 4th. And I'm really excited about bringing technology and and kind of this later stage technology into our industry. So that's a big thing that I'm focusing on for this year. And then I'm also going to restart the podcast in a probably a month or so. And so I'll be working a lot on the podcast as well. Well, it sounds like a great program. And thanks for the clarification. I was kind of picturing at the beginning, like the ag tech shark tank approach where, you know, you're really putting people on the spot. But that sounds like a really great program. And I do think, you know, to IFPA's credit, but I think to your credit about the need for that, the need for more companies like that to see, you know, not just the largesse of agriculture, but in particular produce. And of course, we kind of pull that down when we look at it from a a scalability perspective for blueberries, you know, just how important that exposure is to those companies for what opportunity exists in helping us improve our our innovation or things that we're thinking about in agriculture. So I see that as a really powerful opportunity for our industry to connect with those kinds of companies and just, just that cross-pollination, no pun intended. <laughs> well, this has been a great talk so far. I, I'm excited to continue our conversation, but before we do that, let's take a quick break for our crop report. The harvest in South America is well underway, and we've been receiving weekly updates from our colleagues down south. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on February 16th, 2022. Hi, here Mario with the 2022 six-week report for the Mexican blueberries. This week we've seen important growth in the volumes, with a difference of around 44% respect to the volume reported three weeks ago when we are producing very low volumes. This week we exported 4 million 
300,000 pounds of fresh blueberries to the North American market. And for all the season, we have exported 52 million and 500,000 pounds to all the world. Respecting to the frozen blueberries, they are showing interesting growth too, with a volume near of 200,000 pounds exported this year. Even with these volumes, Mexico represents only 2% of the frozen blueberry imports to the United States. The weather is great to the produce in Mexico and there's no affectations reported. Here all in my report. See you next week. Thank you, everybody. Well, thank you so much to our busy growers and our colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insights Center there for more data on what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've added a lot more features to this dashboard, so please check it out again, including the USDA shipping price and movement, retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales report, and much, much more. You can just visit ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. So let's go back to our featured conversation here with Vani. Vani, I'm curious from your perspective, where do you see kind of the biggest amount of innovation and tech investment taking place today in our produce industry? Well, anyone who's been paying attention would know just from the amount of money that's being invested is in indoor ag and mostly in vertical farms. There's been so much money going into that area. There was just recently in the past month, the announcement that Plenty did another raise of $400 million of Series E, which Walmart was part of, which was pretty exciting to have, you know, now Walmart, a real player in indoor ag. So they've raised close to a billion dollars. So that's real money. (laughs) And then um, Calera is another indoor ag company that just announced that they're going public through a SPAC and the company's valued at 375 million. Aerofarms has raised over 250 million. Indoor farm company in Berlin has raised 600 million. And so all of these companies in the last year has been one of the biggest areas of investment in ag tech. And they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars each from investors, including Google, Jeff Bezos and SoftBank. So it's a huge area that money is pouring in. Another area is the people who are developing technology for those companies. So kind of the pickaxes and shovel companies, they're starting to roll up and and developing more technology and they're getting some more funding. There's also a number of companies in this kind of indoor ag area that have different business models where instead of being the ones that are growing the produce that are selling, they're actually developing turnkey type of systems. There's a company in Scotland called IGS that, you know, will sell you a complete farm with recipes on how to grow things. And a company that I saw at CES called InThing out of South Korea that's doing the same thing. So, you know, starting to iterate different business models. Robotics is another really interesting area. And I know blueberries are interested in, you know, how can we use robotics in the field to decrease our need for labor and to make labor safer? And so robotics is a a big area. But what's interesting that's happening in robotics is quite a bit of money, capital investment was going into robotics. And then a couple of companies kind of stumbled because they... They just didn't have enough money to get all the way to the end. And so I think what people are realizing around robotics is that, one, it takes a huge amount of capital to build this. You know, it's much harder to build a robot that performs a function than it is to develop an app. And it takes a long time, just the R&D time it takes to get a robot that works, takes quite a bit of time to get that going. So I think you're going to see 
kind of traditional VCs maybe pull out, not put as much money in, but I think you're going to see other other forms of funding come into robotics because it's so important. And so I think it'll continue to see investment, just maybe different models of investment. And I think we'll also see different types of robotics, more like harvesting aids, you know, things like Burrow and, and Future Acres and companies like that, that have harvest aids instead of trying to build the, you know, $50 million strawberry harvester that, you know, harvests the whole field at once. So I think we've kind of gone back to like, well, maybe we can take some baby steps, you know, and, and have have little robots running around in the field that kind of help us harvest and where you still, you know, have people, but it's more augmented. So so that's that's a big area. And one one area I just touch on too to round this out is just looking at tackling food waste. I think that's a, a huge area that we're seeing investment companies like Appeal and Hazel, Full Harvest, you know, really looking at how do we tackle food waste on the farm, in the supply chain. So that we're getting more of this food, you know, into people's stomachs and plates and and not in the landfill. And as you see those kind of both current and emerging investments and technologies being innovated, what is it from your perspective that you think there's still a need for more innovation and technology? So, I mean, in some ways, these are things that people are identifying or have been identified as needs due to labor, you know, due to safety all those things. But is there something that we're not getting to that still needs, from your perspective, attention? Well, I think continued and more attention on labor issues, especially for produce, means such an issue for us, right? And so I think things like indoor ag, that's you know, growing things inside where possible, that's going to help a little bit and and automate and a lot of the robotics. So continue looking at how do we focus on that? And then also I, I've seen a number of companies focusing on how do we treat our labor better? How do we contract better in a way that producers can get the labor they need when they need it? And disassociating that from the farm, having someone else like manage all the issue, you know, we're always going to need labor on the farm. And how do we get that labor wherever it needs to come from? Um, how do we house them well? How do we take care of them well? And so I'm seeing, you know, some things pop up around that, which I think is really important in just, you know, treating labor well. I think a lot of the changing consumer preferences around health and wellness, ways of shopping, you know, a lot of ordering online and getting things delivered, like, you know, what effect is that going to have and how can we respond to that? And then of course, climate change is one that I think we're we're starting to touch in different ways, you know, because one of the issues around climate change is going to be less water and changing in environment and weather patterns. And so, you know, we're starting to react, but how can we be proactive? I think blueberries are my best example, you know, that I always use about breeding to really be able to grow in different places with different climate. I mean, you expanded your regions of where you could grow, but now with the climate changing, it's just going to be different. And so how do we respond either through breeding or other ways to be able to respond to the change in weather patterns. And so I think those are some of the main areas. Yeah. You know, I think for all of us, I'd I'd be curious your perspective as you see, you know, organizations like ours, and we're also at a place where innovation is a theme of ours because of supply and demand, you know, you're, you're constantly needing to focus on that kind of innovation churn. What is your encouragement to, you know, an industry section like ours, who's gone through a maturation of growth, but we really do identify with what your goal is and what each of us, I think, as a commodity need to be thinking about in order to keep pushing that growth curve as an industry for both the supply and the demand side. So what, what is that kind of advice you'd give to 
us that, you know, kind of fall under what you're doing in trying to advocate for our space and that innovation investment as a category. Yeah. One of the things that, and and this is one of the reasons I'm doing the accelerator that I was talking about earlier is, you know, really trying to bring technology in. And and part of that program is going to be, you know, finding people to work with those mature technologies, you know, so we're not going to be asking someone to test something that's never been tested before and do it for three years and the thing doesn't work and it's still in beta and that sort of thing. But no, having like mature technologies and really testing it for your use case. And and I think one of the things that I'm trying to figure out is how do we do that in a more co-development way? Because an awful lot of times, you know, bringing new technologies into industries, yours or any others, is that we end up putting all the risk on the producer. And it's the cost, it's the cost of time. If it doesn't work and you lose something, like, you know, that stinks and, you know, you don't want that to happen. And so I've just been thinking a little bit about co-development models of like, if a, a company has some sort of technology and it could be a company, it could be a university, you know, it could be whatever, but how do we kind of fund the grower and how do we take the risk off the grower so that we get more innovation out there and get people more willing to try? It's such a great question because that's how we get adoption is that, you know, we make technology available for people to use without taking a big risk. So if you have an answer, to that. And I'm going to continue to think about it, but let's continue to to think what's the best way to actually get innovation and, and technology out there and deployed to have an impact. Yeah. I love that perspective because I think, you know, the position that you have, and I think we all have an obligation to this as commodity groups or, or categories under produce is to continue to encourage people who are in our industry today to pay attention to what we're looking for. And, and that's why I thought it was great to just kind of have you on the show today to kind of describe from the transition that IFPA is going through as a new organization and your vision for that on our behalf. Because I, I think there are, like we see, companies, whether it's you know tech or even some of the current companies who have already been involved with our industry for a long time, a need to continue to push that envelope for what we're really trying to get to because of the challenge of the risk at the grower or the cost of the grower or the sustainability of that financial position for those growers. And so tech has so many, I think, positive opportunities to try to alleviate that burden. And so I look at you know your role and certainly follow you and, and want to make sure that we're kind of keeping in step with what your position represents for our industry, because all of us need more of that investment, innovation, and moving into our different categories in order for us to really truly be sustainable going into the unknown of the future out there for both consumers, environment, climate, technology plays such a pivotal role. So I'm really encouraged by, I think, the role that you play, the steps you're taking. And I think, you know, having you on the show today certainly helps us get a better picture of what what that future might look like. Great. Thank you. Well, we're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communication, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. With everyone talking about the big game and the big win on Sunday, we're over here at USHBC talking up another big win, in food service, that is. Blueberries are on the student menu in a big way at the University of Connecticut. UConn's culinary team, which serves 30,000 students, recently launched a blueberry barbecue sauce. This menu activation was inspired by USHBC's Culinary Innovation Program and a series of one-on-one meetings with UConn's chef, Rob Landolfi. 
The chef added a new line of sandwiches to the student menu. Slow-roasted pulled pork, shaved steak, slow-roasted pulled chicken thighs. The common element? Blueberry barbecue sauce. While Yukon has always used blueberries in its bakery for blueberry bars, muffins, and pies, and in dining halls for pancakes and smoothies, after connecting with USHBC, Chef Lan Dolfini started experimenting using blueberries with more lunch and dinner items. This is a great example of the benefit of developing solid relationships and showcasing the innovation, versatility, and efficiency that blueberries add. And here's the best part. This blueberry innovation will be a featured editorial in Flavor in the Menu's April-May Best of Flavor issue, which will further promote the sweet to savory versatility of blueberries in the food service channel. The college and university audience is a key target for USHBC, which has plans for more strategic activations to elevate blueberries in 2022. We look forward to sharing more stories like this that illustrate how our efforts are resonating with key volume-driving audiences for the industry. Check out our food service page at ushbc.org slash food service. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Vani Estes. Well, Vani, I really appreciate this time, certainly talking about you know the priorities that you have in place as a new organization. Obviously, this has been a position that you've been passionate for some time. I thought we'd just kind of end or wrap up with just your thoughts on, you know, anything else you'd like to share with our audience, obviously very blueberry specific, but you know, what advice you have for them or for us or our organization that you'd like to share before we let you go? I think we've touched on a lot of the pieces that I would talk about, but I, you know, any way that IFPA can be of any help or I can be of any help in my role, if you're looking for solutions for specific things, you know, let me know. Maybe I can be of some help just introducing you and the, the people that I run across. And yeah, I think, you know, keep doing the good work. Well, let me ask you one more question related to the difference between the role you had maybe at PMA and IFPA. As that organization transitioned, did anything really change from a, a mission standpoint for you in the position? Or was there a break where you took on more or focused on something specific? Has there been any change in the role? The biggest change in the role, I think, is maybe an increased recognition of the importance of it to our members. So I'm getting a lot more resources than I had before. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, well, it's really helpful. I think, you know, working on the podcast, I'm, I'm getting some help on the podcast and with the accelerator. And so it just enables me to do a lot more and also brings in, you know, we've got some great talent in our organization, good writers, good social media people, good connections with press in the industry that I just hadn't been leveraging. And so I just see this year for me is just really kind of coming out and, and playing a bigger role in the industry with the backing of all the great people at IFPA. Well, I'm encouraged. You know, we look forward to on the USHBC side and on the, on the NABC side to be involved in a big way going into the new first year of the IFPA and certainly look forward to working closely with you and and just kind of connecting that innovation dot best we can and look forward to having you back, not just on this podcast, but certainly welcome you to help influence our innovation and tech committee and our program work that we're working on on behalf of the industry. And really just thank you for what you do on behalf of agriculture. Thank you. And, and I'm a huge fan. I love the podcast and I love following all the work that you're doing. So let's do keep in touch and keep working together. Thanks. 
Well, that's it for episode 86. If you want more of these ag tech episodes with thought leaders and those tech companies we've had on the show, we've created a playlist just on our tech episodes that you can binge or comb through as you have time. You also find a link to that playlist in today's show notes. And if there's some emerging technology for blueberries that you would like us to pull into a future episode, let us know that too. We're always looking for new and different people to speak to about agriculture technology and its relationship to potentially blueberries. And we understand that these conversations can be very inspiring and encouraging both to our audience and those companies who are trying to develop something new to help our growers. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.